I just, I wanted to, we got to Psalm 23 and I thought I'm just going to transpose the numbers and we're going to go 32. I'll come back to the others, but I want to take a look at 32 tonight. You know, today was, oh, but yeah, if you need a Bible, Jason's got them. Raise your hand, I'll give you a Bible. Back over there. Today was um, the uh, first day of school for my son. Uh, I think it's our first child to go into public school. Molly did when she was really young, but uh, they said she had, you know, never mind, but we took her out. And, um, and then Michelle homeschooled him. But Daniel uh, is the first child that we've put into public school. He's a freshman at Newbury Park High School. We prayed over it and we're really blessed by it. We're excited about the ministry that's taking place. It was a neat first day of school. Uh, Pastor Brett and I went out there with Micah and we were handing out schedules to the students and uh, we're just wanting to love bomb that campus and minister to all the kids and it's real exciting to see. And, and as I was contemplating that uh, first day of school, uh, I just started to reflect back on my life in, in uh, high school and uh, how I was, I was what you would consider moral um, through high school. I wasn't a Christian, but I was moral. And moral, remember, is not doing what's wrong. I didn't drink. Uh, I didn't smoke. I didn't hang around with folks that did that. I was chased. Uh, it wasn't until I became a Christian that I, I, I really undertook um, the study of sin. <laughs> and good or bad... I'm, I, I've always related, and, you know, and this is going to be one of those messages that um, you're, you're either going to enjoy it and, and see it for what it is, or you're going to think, I, I don't want to be in a church with a pastor like that and leave, and I'm, I'm okay with that. But I, I, was, I was thinking a lot like David, that when I read Psalm 32, uh, and I think of David's life, and what do they, what, what's David's title? We've done this over and over again. What's David's title? What do they call him? A man after God's own heart. I mean, that's, that's a title a Christian should have. Amen? And, and you think about it. God's hand was on David. What was his greatest victory that you remember? Goliath. I mean, what an amazing victory. You're walking out against a 9-foot, 10-inch giant. Every man in Israel has given up. Even the tallest man, Saul, 40 days, this guy's taunted the armies. And David walks out as a youngest to deliver the food to his brothers. He gets ostracized and picked on. And he hears all these chants about Goliath. He hears Goliath coming out. He doesn't call him a champion. He doesn't call him a giant. He calls him a reproach, an uncircumcised Philistine, a defier of the armies of Israel. And and he says, what will be done for the man that kills him? And they say, well, you're, you're, you know, you'll be tax-exempt. Like right there, that would be perfect. But you'd be tax-exempt. you get to marry the king's daughter. And David's like, that's fine. Let's kill this guy. And he walks out, and Saul tries to put his armor on him, and David walks out, and he walks out with a sling. He takes this guy down, cuts his head off even. And, and, and uh, fascinating. And he says... You know, he even said to Goliath, and we've covered this a number of times, he even said to Goliath, I acknowledge that your physical weapons are far superior than my own. Look at your javelin, look at your sword, look at your spear, look at your armor bearer. You're covered in bronze. There's no way I can attack you. But I got news for you. You aren't picking a fight with me. You're coming against the Lord. And today I will deliver your body, your carcass, to the birds of the air. I will take your head from you that all of Israel will know that there is a God. And the battle belongs to to the Lord. He walks out in the strength of the Lord. He takes him down. We study that scripture and we're blown away by it. I mean, it's one of those most inspiring passages that ignites any congregation, any atheist, anybody, any soldier football team, baseball team, soccer team. You give a, 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 you know, a story on that. You start to teach people through the study of, the, of Goliath taking down a giant. People are moved by it. And, and, and I've said before, we think that that's a study on how to conquer a giant. It's not. The study is it begins at the beginning of the passage, and it says that the Philistines were in uh, Ezekah, Ephesdamon, which belonged to Judah. And so what the study is, is not how to kill a giant. The study is how content God's people are to allow Satan to occupy territory that rightfully belongs to God. That's what the story's about. And so I will say this to everybody who's present tonight. Satan is occupying a solid portion of territory that rightly belongs to God. 
uh, in the majority of the folks present in this room. Some of you are going, oh, that's not me. Well, then Satan is in there. He's in there with pride. He's got you. Because you think more highly of yourself than you ought to. We're all in this together. You know, you're not in this church because you're special. You're not in this church because you're sinless or you're, you're cleansed. You're in this church because you, Christianity is not a crutch and it's not a cane, amen? It is a life support system. It's a lung machine. It's a heart machine. It's everything. And you're here because you recognize that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. Lord God, have mercy on me. As, as Peter said, oh, uh, depart from me for I'm a, 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 a wicked man. Isaiah said, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. When you come into the presence of God, you recognize how bad you are, right? Well, you get to life, and and as you start to operate in life, and even if you are a man or a woman after God's own heart, you get into a stage in life where you start to receive the blessings of the Lord. And the blessings of the Lord are abundant because as you start to serve God, the Bible says, trust in the Lord, he'll give you desires of your heart, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. I mean, it's pretty cool. You start to tithe, you see a return on it, you see you get blessed, your kids start growing up, and then all of a sudden sin starts to creep itself into your life. And a little compromise here, a little compromise there. And again, there's not a man who wakes up and says, today's the day I'm going to commit adultery or today's the day. That's not how it happens. It comes in slowly, right? And, and you realize, well, I engage in that, and I still have the blessings that are around me. So apparently God doesn't concern himself with that, and I can get away with it. I want to read to you Romans chapter 2, and then we'll get into the passage. Romans 2 says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to what? Leads you to what? Let's try that again. Leads you to? Okay, what is repentance? Turning away? Turning around? What? what? To change. To change. So, in turning around, so if, if I'm running away from the Lord, the cross, uh, repentance is 180 degrees turning to him and embracing him. Turning away from your sin, turning to God, that's repentance. Change. This is what I'm doing now. This is what I am going to do. And this always entails God help me, God save me, God fill me, God use me, God empower me, God forgive me. And, and you look at these things, and this is, this is the power of it. And how does a good man get in a miserable state? Well, David did. David did. How do you know a good man is a good man when he's in a miserable state? He didn't lose his title, a man after God's own heart, but he was in the midst of an awful sin. If you're wondering what the sin is that we're going to be covering in in, uh, Psalm 32, it's found in 2 Samuel 11. It's, It's David committing adultery with Bathsheba. But that wasn't enough. I mean... She was a married woman, committed adultery with her, and she was with child. So David tried to cover it up, and so what did he do? He killed her husband. He put a hit on him. He, he didn't kill him personally. He put a hit on him, and he said, send him to the front of the lines, have everyone pull back except for Uriah, and they killed him. So David committed murder, and he committed adultery. Interesting thing about murder and adultery, pay attention. Interesting thing about murder and adultery, pay attention. Interesting thing about murder and adultery is those are two sins in the Old Testament for which there was no sacrifice. All you got in return for those sins was death. Some of you are going, well, that's a bit harsh. We live in a, a dispensation of grace. And, and as we read in Romans 2... Don't despise the riches of God's goodness and his forbearance. It's his kindness that is, it's not there so you can continue in sin. His kindness is there to lead you to, we're going to get there by tonight, I'm sure. Right? Now, you say, well, I'm, I've, never, I'm, I've never murdered or committed adultery. Man says, God says, Jesus said, and who's God? And he said, if, if you lust for a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. Well, okay, I guess I, well, I've never murdered Bible says if you say to your brother fool or raka, you're a murderer. He says, you've heard that it says I was going to commit murder, but I say to you, anyone who says to his brother, you fool or raka, which means stupid or empty-headed or idiot, is in danger of the fires of hell. 
You don't need a gun to kill somebody. Your words will do just fine. Right? We've studied that, haven't we? You're stupid. You're ugly. I hate you. I wish you were never born. That's a parent's way of killing their child without using a gun. Or just say it to their spouse in the presence of the kids. That's another wonderful way to murder them. They get to grow up with those images in their head. It's lovely. So we've all murdered with words. Yeah, and we've all lusted. So we've committed adultery, yes. Anyone haven't done that? Because we'll just attribute you as a liar. (laughs) Why am I saying this? Because David is a man after God's own heart. I don't want to dismiss the sin, but I also want you to realize you're not alone. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes? Okay. So let's take a look tonight, if we can. Uh, Psalm 32. This is uh, a psalm David wrote after nine months of hell. Nine months of hell. And uh, it's interesting how he describes it. And the reason why I think tonight is, is going to maybe divide the room a little bit is because as I, I took a look at this psalm, I just thought of countless times where I was in this position. And, and I'd like to say it was for the same sin, but it wasn't. It was for others. You know, just seems like I, I handle one, go, go to another, and then oh, you don't have that problem, but I'll, I'll just pick it up. Psalm 32, David writing, he said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Let me stop there for a minute. I love the story I, I heard. Young boy's at the mall with his friends, and they're all hanging out, and they're having a great time. And uh, he's there just for hours. They're playing video games. They're just messing around. They're goofing around in the entire mall. An hour passes, two hours pass. Coming up on three hours, he remembers, oh, my goodness, I had borrowed mom's car, and I was supposed to pick her up at the beauty salon. I was just supposed to go to the mall briefly, and I was supposed to pick her up because dad's boss is coming over at 6, and it's 5.30 right now. And, and he looks at his phone and endless messages. He didn't have his thing on Ringer or Buzz and his mom. Is, and so he calls right away the beauty salon. And the lady said, well, she stayed for about two hours, but she left. And he's thinking, oh, goodness, she walked home and it's been raining. And, and he tries to call the brother and the brother answers the phone. He says, is there anything? You better get home right away. So he's just booking at home. He's driving, saying, what do I tell her? Was I abducted? Maybe I was kidnapped. Maybe my friends tied me up. Or I, I, I drank a soda that somebody spiked. I, I, what am I going to tell her? And you get, anyone ever been in a situation where your heart is pounding? Your chest is tight? Uh, I've been in that so many times, it's nauseating. I remember the, the first time I had heard Rick Warren speak. And for those of you who don't like Rick Warren or you dismiss him, the man had an enormous role in my life. I was a seminary student, went down to Southern California on a trip uh, to train seminary students. And we had a private meeting with Rick Warren. There was about 10 or 15 of us. And he was teaching on First John. He says, uh, walk in the light as he's in the light, confess your sins one to another. And he says, does anyone know who you really are? I mean, God forgives you, but Satan always says, well, nobody knows who you are. And he said, um, and if you live in that, that, that secret and you live in that darkness, uh, you'll, you're, you're never going to have restoration because Satan's always going to have that on you. You're going to be in front of people and you're always going to be a liar because no one's going to know who you really are. And he says, does anyone know who you really are? And I'm, I'm married at the time and I've got these struggles in my life. I'm thinking my best friend's my wife and I've got to talk to her. There's just some things that I haven't told a soul and what am I going to do? And my heart's heavy and, and, and I finally, the earthquakes had occurred and they shut down the I-5 and I, but before the earthquakes had occurred, I turned to uh, my roommate, and I said, I'm, I'm going to leave early. I've got to go home. I, I don't want the sun to go down on this. I'm going to go home and, and, and tell my wife some stuff. But let me back it up a little bit. We were at the seminary a few weeks earlier, and all, the, all these guys are, you know, future pastors are in the, in the seminary uh, commons area, and we're all having a cup of coffee and talking between classes, and, and they're all saying, you know, I used to struggle with this sin, but God delivered me from that, and I used to struggle with this sin, God delivered me from that, and I'm listening to all these guys talk, and I joined in, and me too, I had that deliverance myself, I'm just, <laughs> and we're, oh, that's really great, and I'm just saying, you're doing great, I'm doing great, we're on our way, just man after God own heart, and I've got two hours in the morgue, and I've been praying, my knees is chafing, and the carpet's unbelievable, but I tell you, I'm just, I'm set, and uh, left there thinking, you're a liar. I was convicted of it. 
And two of the guys that were in that circle had said the same thing. I end up rooming with them on this trip down to Southern California. We sit through this thing with Rick Warren. I come back that night. These two guys are my roommates. I'm embarrassed as all get out. I turn to them and I say, I got to tell you guys, I lied to you. I said, I got to confess something. I just said, uh, the stuff I said, I was, I'm not, and I'm struggling with it. And I'm going to go home and tell my wife. And I'd ask if you guys would pray for me. And these guys are looking at me like a deer caught in headlight. And they're all, uh, us too. You know, it's like, we're in the, yeah. So I worked for A.C. Nielsen prior to going into the ministry. A.C. Nielsen does projected data. They do a sampling, 5% of the population, they project it out to within 5 or 6 percentage points are correct. So if I were to project the data at that seminary, every single person was dealing with what I was dealing with and they were all lying. That's projected data. So I go home and I go home and I'm asking them to pray for me. When I get home, the earthquake occurs, I-5 shuts down as that big portion collapses, so I get to stay there and I I go out with Michelle and I I tell her, and I'm telling you, at this moment, I'm thinking, she's going to leave me. Um... I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to figure out how I'm going to get a job, what I'm going to do. I, I'm done. And it was one of the most powerful things because she turned to me and she says, Rob, as God has forgiven you, so do I. Now, I know what verse 1 means. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. She could have tore me apart, but she made me want to be a better man. It was her kindness that led me to repentance, and I saw the Lord in her life. I knew God had forgiven me, but I saw in her that power. And when that young boy comes home, and he walks into the house, and his mother's brand new hairdo is all ruined from the rain, and she's walked, you know, three miles, one hour in the rain, her shoes are ruined, her feet are red from the dye in her shoes. Uh, The boss is on her way. She's holding a knife in her hand, a fork in the other, and he walks into the kitchen thinking, she's going to kill me. And she puts it down. She says, do you know that I walked? And I, yeah, Mom, I do. Do you know that you, the boss, and I, my hair? I do, Mom. And Mom, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Of course I will. Come give me a hug. You're like, serious? You're not going to kill me? You put the knife down? <laughs> At that moment, are you going to say, I don't really feel like I deserve to be hugged? You're going to be going, Mom, I, I'm going I'm to hug you, but then I'm going to go and clean my room, and I'm going to just, you know. And I'm, but here's the thing. When you expect forgiveness, as a kid came in and goes, do you know I walked an hour? And well, Mom, I was with my friends. Lighten up. She'll pick up the knife again. <laughs> See, when you get to a place where you've been forgiven and 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 you've been forgiven, and you don't confess your sins where it says 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Confess doesn't mean acknowledging or saying them. It means repenting, right? If you don't do that and you go, yeah, so what? I did that. That's called entitlement. And you get used to it. And you look at God's forgiveness. And you look at it as a license to sin. You're in trouble, You don't understand the riches of God that he is giving this to you, not so that you can practice and continue in sin, but so you may repent. And so David says, you'll never understand what it's like to be right with God. You can take advantage of God's grace. You can redefine it. You can go party, drink, smoke, chew, do all those things. You can go to the heights of the mountains, the depths of the sea. You'll never get away from God and you'll never feel right. I know the feeling. David, listen, David was king. You look at 2 Samuel 11 and 12. He he killed Uriah. All he had to do was kill Bathsheba. And when Nathan came, all he had to do was kill Nathan. He knew how to cover. And he knew how to go on with life. And he could still have the the fruits and the desserts and everything else would be flowing in. He could have done whatever he wanted. But it doesn't matter the delicacies on your plate. If, if, if rich foods and lovely locations to live and beautiful clothes was what made you happy, then why would we have tabloids that we would read in the supermarket checkout stands? Why would Miley Cyrus just be imploding and her parents separate from, and the misery that she, that poor girl. Her dad's going, what have I done? Mom too, I, I imagine. Lindsay Lohan's parents, although they're a little screwed up, but I'm just, my heart breaks for them. I don't look at that and go, I'm better than they are. I look at them going, oh man, this is what we want our kids to aspire to. 
This is what we promote. Someday, too, you can be on the pinnacle, and then your star can burn out. And you can be the laughing stock of everywhere, and all your pictures will be on the internet for a lifetime. And you'll be reminded of it, and reminded of it, and reminded of it, and reminded of it. I just thought I'd share that. David could have covered it. But look what he says. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I don't care if you're a billionaire, a millionaire, or a gazillionaire, or you're a pauper. There's nothing like being forgiven of your sins. Blessed is man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and, is who, and in whose spirit there's no what? <sighs> the first time I heard this, Pastor Dave shared it. I've heard it a couple times since. When confronted with sin, you can do one of three things. Blame others, right? Make excuses or repent. Adam did it. Adam, where are you? I, 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 was, uh, I was hiding. You see, the woman you gave me, she jacked it all up. I mean, and, uh, and, and then he's like, well, okay, I guess I did, but it was the serpent. Wasn't my fault. Just go on down the line. Isn't that how we are? You address your kids. What did you do? It wasn't me. And my boys are perfect at it. He did it. He did worse. He was the first. Shh, 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 shh. I'll beat you both. <laughs> Be quiet. Okay. You get sick of it. I don't want to hear anything other than, this is what I did. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? That's all I want to hear. I don't want to hear excuse. I don't want you to blame your brother or your sister. Clean up your side of the street. And you think my kids are bad? When you guys come into my office to sit down, you're worse. You know better. Some of you aren't going to come in anymore. <laughs> but let me tell you, when I go in and sit in somebody's office, I'm the same way. All right? I'm just telling you. I get it. I mean, we, our sin looks so bad on other people. But on us, it's not that bad. It's just, not, it's just not that bad. I mean, I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for him or her, right? And so David says, this only works when there's no deceit. What does no deceit mean? The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit means, and we covered this before, it's the be- beginning of the Beatitudes. If you're going to build a building and you want to build it on a foundation, you've got to get down to bedrock. The way you get to bedrock is you've got to remove all the loose fill dirt, get down to the bedrock. That's where you pour the foundation. So when God says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, he's saying to the folks, uh, this is the foundation. That, this is where we're going to pour on bedrock. Bedrock is this. God, I have removed all of my excuses, all of my lies, all the chaff. This is who I am. Have mercy on me. And when you're, listen, when you're honest with God, he's merciful with you. Every single time. Every single time. I was caught in the worst sin imaginable. I went to my pastor. I confessed it. Uh, I, I drove home to go tell my parents. It was the most embarrassing thing. Neither of them were Christians. I was humiliated in their presence. And, and everything I did in fessing up and owning my sin ended up working together for good, saved both of my parents, transformed my life, gave me a wife who's the love of my life, uh, affected every person involved in the sin, all because of honesty and God's mercy. Yeah. I remember one time when Michelle was trying to tell me, you know, the guy living in the back of the house when we were newlyweds, I really can't, you know, I, I, I just don't feel because she'd had a miscarriage, and there's a guy, I knew who he was, she didn't know who he was, I was traveling all the time, big guy, Grizzly Adams beard, smoke, chain smoker, I said, this is ministry, and he's living in the back of the house, and he'll shower down the YMCA, and we've got to feed him dinner, and this is what we do, she's trying to tell me, I don't feel comfortable with this, and, and the Bible says, basically, if I don't have a ministry to my wife, I don't have a ministry, but I'm not listening to her. Bible says, dwell with your wife with understanding. And I'm like, I'm the king of this house. I told you we're going into ministry, and this is what we're going to do. And woman, you just shut up, do as you're told, like it. If I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. And that's not going anywhere. And so she goes and meets with a pastor. I'm like, who are you to air our dirty laundry? She says, well, the pastor wanted to meet with you. Well, I'll go tell him what you've done, and I'll just fill him to send him straight. And I go over, and I sit down. The guy's name's Don McClure, and I tell him, I say, I told my wife I was entering into ministry, and I told her, and we've got a guy living in the back, and that's what we're supposed to do. This is the love of Jesus, and I'm just in. He goes, ah. He says, when you married your wife and you stood at the altar, who did you say I do to? The guy in the back of your house or your wife? 
My wife, duh. Well, then I'd go home, kick that guy out of your house, and go love your wife. What kind of a Christian are you? One who knows what he's talking about. Son, a man who has a happy life has a happy wife. Husbands love your wives. Didn't say husbands love Bill. (laughs) Go love your wife. If you don't have a ministry to your wife, you'll never have a ministry in the church. Oh. You see, it's a microcosmic love of Christ's love for the church. Deal with it. So I'm thinking, I've got to go home and tell Michelle. I just blew it. I, I was just wrong. That's going to be hard to do because when I say that, I say, I'm. I was. It's hard. I don't, I don't know if I can say that word to her. I was opposite of right, which would be. And then I got to go and tell the guy that, uh, you know, Bill, I'm, I promise you you could live back there, but you're going to have to cow. And I'm just praying on the way home, Lord, you know it's right. Give me the strength. Prepare Michelle's heart. I just ask. I, I, I pull up. As I'm pulling up, Bill's walking out, and he's got a suitcase. I go, Bill, what are you doing? He goes, you know, the Lord just spoke to my heart. And I called a friend in Madeira, and they got me a place at the Madeira Rescue Mission. I'm going to catch a bus down there, uh, and I'm all set. I go, really? Yeah. Thank you for letting me live here. Oh, no problem. He became the director of the Madeira Rescue Mission. He got married. He ended up becoming an electrician. He had a bunch of kids. God did a wonderful work in his life. Hardest part for me was walking. I go, Michelle, I was... And she was merciful. And I just told her I was wrong. I'm sorry. And that began an understanding of ministry. Every time you confess your sins, every time you're honest with God, he's merciful with you. But if you want to live in deceit... Let me show you something. Look at verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. The way of the transgressor is hard. Your whole, you live two lives. You're a liar. You don't have any character. You're, 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 you're overcompensating with your kids because you're such a lousy parent and a lousy spouse. And then you got this imbalance in your life and, and your body aches and you hurt in places you never knew you had. And you're getting old. And you start to do things you never, you, you drink and you smoke and you hide stuff. You know, I know that because I've done it. Greatest struggles in my life. That's when I just know. I got to tell you something it's exhausting. It is, listen, it is exhausting. You may be young and thinking, well, it's not that bad. I just recover really quick. Where do you get to 49? It's awful. You're thinking, I'm not going to make 50. David lived nine months with this, trying to figure out, okay, I've got to kill Uriah. Okay, jo- Joab knows about this. Who else knows about it? Okay. Bathsheba, she's so beautiful, but she might talk. And I think some of the servants in the kingdom might have heard, I've got to put a hit on them, but who am I going to get to put that hit on them? Because they're going to talk. I'm going to have to put a hit on them, and then I'm going to have to figure out somebody to put a hit on those guys that don't know about, oh my gosh, I've got to take a nap. <laughs> Bring me some wine. And, and then it's just awful. And then you've got the images in your head, and you, 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 I did this, and then Satan's whispering to you, and then you've got to go out and address the kingdom, and then you've you got to speak about the Lord, and they're waiting for another psalm and a song, and they're waiting for a sermon that's going to touch their lives, and you're looking at the Word going, this is not me. What am I going to say to these people? And your life is a, is a sham. It's a Trevor sham mockery. It's a lie. And it's awful. Does nobody feel this but me? Hello? Amen. Good. Yeah. That's the reality. And David says, listen, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. That's why the Lord says, confess your sins one to another. You see, only confession, listen, only confession, pay attention, only confession will bring restoration. It's not unto salvation, it's unto restoration. You have miserable relationships in your life because you're not honest. You haven't confessed. You're not right with God and you're not right with man. There's, there's two stations of the cross, the vertical and the horizontal. If you don't get it right with God, you're not going to get it right with people. You're going to go through life as a liar. Who are you? Yeah? Look in the mirror and you're like, who are you? 
When I kept silent, my bones grew old through all my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And then he uses this word, Selah. Think about that one. And I got news for you. God is so good at putting you in a vice. He just makes you one big ball of gout. And, and you think you're getting away. He'll just crank it a little more. More. And you know what? He's not opposed to putting you in a hospital bed. I had a, a childhood friend broke his neck quadriplegic. Cocaine using drug yeah, just a mess. His aunt led him to the Lord because he was a captive audience. He says, best thing that ever happened to me. All day night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I mean, there's just, skies aren't blue anymore. You just find yourself in some, from some video screen or some bar. And life's dark. And you just wake up going, who am I and what have I done now? And the line you said you'd never cross, you wake up on the other side of it going, really? Who am I? Nobody knows me. I don't even think I know me. I sat with a guy one time, and, and he, had, I, I, he worked in the movie industry. He went to our church. First guy I ever really was this close to kicking out of the church. He, he worked in the movie industry. And, uh, you know, married, kids, you know, just go get her, talking about the Lord all the time. And I get a letter in the mail, and the letter is written about this guy, about what a wonderful dad he was and how he shared the Lord with this, this person who's writing a letter. And this person writing a letter just wanted me as a pastor to know how amazing this guy was and wrote this letter and just talked about how he met his needs and did this and did that and how he didn't have two nickels to rub together. But he's just such a, and I was, I, it was one of the most amazing letters I've ever read. It was so amazing. I, I read it to my brother. My brother was teary-eyed. He took it, and I think it's on the Internet somewhere, and people are using it for illustrations uh, in their sermons. But it was just a powerful letter. I was so touched by it that I called this fellow in our church and I said you know the Lord put on my heart to send you some money so I sent him some money and I don't know if it was the Lord probably just my excitement I was moved by emotion um, on this letter and and as I was just thinking about that I was driving one day months had passed Christmas was over and I was driving and, and it occurred to me the Lord just spoke to my heart you are a sucker I go why Lord he goes nobody wrote that letter he wrote that letter about himself I go oh you gotta be kidding me I picked up the phone, and I called our assistant pastor, Eric Smith at the time. I go, Eric, I just had the weirdest feeling. I was driving. He goes, I already know what it is. I go, what? He goes, he wrote the letter. I go, how do you know? He goes, God spoke to me too. It was total confirmation. I'm like, oh, this is creepy. <laughs> we caught this guy in so many lies that he was, he was destined for jail. He was, he was, the, he was, he was vile pathological liar look right in your face and lie to you and make you feel special knew how to laugh and giggle and and I remember I remember that I had confronted him he was in a corner every time he said well this is I'd bring out evidence and that was on that excess and that excess and I got him there and, and there all of a sudden for that brief moment in time this is who you are can you see it you've been running from yourself so long you don't know who you are can you see it right now look be honest with God because he can cleanse you right now. And he's looking at it. And he said these words. He said, you're right. I don't think I know who I am. I don't even know what the truth is anymore. I said, well, this is the truth. And if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Are you ready to walk in the light as he is in the light? I, I, and all of a sudden he started making excuses and left my office. He ended up leaving his wife, committed adultery, sued for custody. Awful human being. Awful human being. Liar. Now, God says that his hand is heavy, his vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I got news for you. I don't care if you can get a massage every day. And you, can, you have lavish luxury and you've got a bank account. Your life is miserable. You live with yourself, and it's awful. You can keep the music running, and you can keep the television playing, and you can surround yourself with people who just tell you you're wonderful, and you can just make it all about you. But sooner or later, the noise is going to stop, and you're going to be with yourself, 
and you know who you are. And it's awful. And that's what David's saying, and that's why he says, Selah. Hey, think about this, please. Don't go any further with your life because it's going to be awful for you. David's saying, please listen to me. Does this speak to you? And some of you right now are going, I am right where David is describing. I'm in David's ninth month, and the baby's about to be born, and everyone's about to find out. I don't want to kill anybody else. Good. Selah. Now, verse 5. Here's what you do. We're almost finished. I acknowledged my sin to God, to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what did he do? He forgave the iniquity of my sin. You know what he meant by confession? I'm not only acknowledging it, I'm saying, God, I don't want it anymore. Help me. And I'm not dressing it up. I'm not saying I had an affair. You didn't have an affair. You committed adultery. Well, I made a choice. No, 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 no. You aborted your child. There's no condemnation, but you got to own up. I lied. I stole. I remember when I had to tell my boss that I had cheated on my expense account. I was going to lose my job. I'm telling you this not because I'm proud of it. It belongs to the Lord. I tell you that because whatever you've done, I've also done it. That's why God made me your pastor. He took the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. I am the worst human being in this room. That's why he put me in the pulpit. I'm not trying to pretend. I'm trying to tell you just like David, acknowledge your sin to God. Be honest with him. Don't hide your sin. Confess your transgressions to the Lord. And guess this is what he's going to do. He's going to forgive you. He's going to forgive you. I was thinking about, you, you know, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the guy who did Sherlock Holmes? He wrote Sherlock Holmes. He played a prank on his friends one day, five of them. He, he wrote him a note, and he didn't sign it. He just mailed it to him, and it says, um, uh, all has been found out, flee at once. <laughs> Within 24 hours, all five men had left the country. We're in a day and age with video cameras. We're in a day and age where your computer can watch you. We're in a day and age that every phone you've dialed, every website you've looked at, somebody knows. I told you about my friend Bruce Morris. Pulled up a website that I had looked at seven months previous. Every URL is documented. Everything. And if that doesn't frighten you, let me just back it up a little bit. So what? God's been seeing it all along. Why does it phase you that the NSA figured it out? God's known all along. It's against you and you alone that I've sinned and committed this iniquity in your sight. That's why David says, deal with God. Deal with God. He's real and you're going to stand before him. And then he says this. He says, Selah. I want you to think about that. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Micah 7.19, he will again have compassion on us all and he will subdue our iniquities and he will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Proverbs 28.13, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee and no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. You think about that. You're running from stuff and hiding from stuff that nobody gives a rip about. Like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You know, flee at once, all has been found out. And they ran. Nobody's chasing him. And, and Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man on the earth who does good and does not sin. There's not a single person on the earth who's without sin and does good all the time. There just isn't. That's why I can say in this room, I know you're losers. <laughs> Isaiah 43, 25. 
I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isaiah 1.18, listen to this. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And then Psalm 103, verse 12. And listen to this one. This is precious. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Listen, God is in the forgiveness business. We need to be in the confession business. We are great sinners. He is a great Savior. And we confess those sins that we would be forgiven of those sins. And so what do we do after we contemplate and we seek his forgiveness and we confess our transgressions to him? Verse 6, David says, For this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you, O Lord, in a time when you may be found, and surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. When... When I told my parents what I had done and they said that you're never to step foot in this house again, I knew what I had confessed was right and I knew that the course of action I was taking was what God wanted and the judgment they had placed on me, I just looked and I said, God, that's your problem. You take care of that. You said that, that, that you were faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of, my, of unrighteousness. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And Lord, I, I want to walk in the newness. And, and so, God, I confess and hear based on your word that, you, that I'm praying to you and at a time when you may be found. And Lord, surely in a flood of great waters, none of these folks will come near me. So, Lord, you protect, protect me because I'm, I'm laying it out there. If you're afraid to confess your sins because you're afraid of what people will think, i got news for you. If they don't have anything but forgiveness for you, they're in a world of hurt. Because to the level you forgive, you will be forgiven, and to the level you judge, you will be judged. He who's been forgiven much loves much. I'll tell you this, though. If you want to use this on your spouse, did you hear what Pastor Rob said? And I love how people do this. They just turn the message for themselves. Did you hear what Pastor Rob said? You're supposed to forgive me. Oh my gosh, where did you come from? Serious, don't use me in, in your ridiculous justification of your nightmare life. That's not how you, this is what you do. Would you have mercy on me? I have wronged you. If that's the words out of your mouth, you heard the sermon right. If you use it any other way, just leave now. Didn't think you would. Verse 7, you are my hiding place, God. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. You know what's amazing about David? He was a man who loved to sing, and now he's got a song again. He's got a song again. And that's what the Lord does when he renews your heart. And he starts to sing about songs of deliverance. He says, Selah, again, meditate on that. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will guide you with my eye. And then he says this to, to the people. He says, Do not be like the horse or like the mule which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. What is righteous? Righteous means you're right with God. How are you right with God? Because you confess your sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, which makes you right. And then you're upright in heart. You can stand before God. You're not hiding anything. You're not living a lie. You're walking with joy. Uh, your yes is yes. Your no is no. People see who you are. Your, your private life is your public life. Your public life is your private life. You, you don't have two sets of families and two sets of lives. And you, this is who you are. And you're right with God. But if you're not, you're verse 10. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Many sorrows. I have to tell you, I have been at the bedside of many a man and a woman who stepped into eternity. And I've never heard a man or a woman say, you know, the best thing I ever did was commit adultery. It so blessed my kids. It so blessed them. I, leaving my spouse. Mm. I mean, the Thanksgiving at two houses for the kids was really special. And the thing I love the most was another man... My kids call another man daddy. That just really touched me. I'm, I'm just dying with joy. 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 No, no, no. Usually they're, they're looking with their dying breath saying, I got to tell you something. What? I've never told a soul this. Let's get it off your chest. What's going on? 
And they look at me and they're weeping and they've carried it a lifetime. And they lay it out. And you know what they get? I look at him and I say, you loser. No, I don't do that. And neither does God. I look at them and I say, I am so proud of you. You have no hindrances on your ticket. You have clear passage. Your visa's stamped. Your passport's in order. You're going to have a wonderful trip and I'm your heavenly travel agent. That plane is all fueled up and ready to go. And I want you to know something. In case you ever wondered, as God has forgiven you, so do I. I know who you are, and I love you even more knowing the truth. And I'm proud of you. And they die with joy. I've also seen people who just don't want to give it up. Angry, bitter, and they're liars to their death. Let it go. Let it go. Paul says, Romans 12, he says, I I beg you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then, this is one that's so important. Philippians chapter 3. I love this verse. Brethren, I do not count myself. This is Paul speaking. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind, and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I, I want to tell you something tonight. Put it in your past by confessing it right now. Just kill it. The key to joy is to unlock yourself from the prison of your sin. And that comes, that key is called forgiveness. You confess, he forgives. Come on out. Now go your way. Sin no more. Now you will, but when you do, confess, forgive, go on out. Confess means repent. Doesn't mean, well, yeah, so I did it. It's not confession. That's called the sin of Achan. You only, you only confess it when you get caught. That is not confession. You know how you know you're a godly man or a godly woman when you're in the midst of sin? Pay attention. You know how you know that you are a man after God's own heart when you're in the midst of sin? You're convicted by it. You're convicted by it. Conviction's a good thing. Deal with it. Let the Lord have it. He'll set you free. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. I just think how important it is for us to get right with the Lord. The most precious times in my life have been getting things off my chest. But not interested in you getting the stuff off your chest so that you can go back to doing it again. The idea is, Lord, I agree with you. This is a mess, and I want to get right. I want to get right. That's what David did. He was a man after God's own heart. And so I was thinking this would be a good verse for us because the passage to me and the beauty of it is that he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. If you want to play Christian, you're not fooling anybody. You, you stink at acting. And the person that you're supposed to be impressing the most figured it out the minute you tried to pull a fast one on him, and that's the Lord. You don't need to impress me or anyone else. What we do, we do is unto the Lord. We serve an audience of one. If that doesn't phase you, I doubt you're a Christian. The Bible says to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. I really doubt you're a Christian if that doesn't phase you. But if you're convicted tonight, I rejoice with you because 
there is mercy and grace to be found tonight in a life of joy, righteousness, and uprightness before God. Aren't you tired of it yet? Aren't you sick of it? He's ready to take it. We got nine minutes. Is Tony here? Or did he go home? I guess he went home. Oh, you're back there? You got a song for us? Brett, I didn't give you any fair warning, but let's put some folks up here for prayer. Now, I want to say something. On a night like this, when you do a sermon like this, people think, well, if I come forward, I'm coming forward to confess sin. No. You may be a spouse coming forward to pray for your spouse. You may, you, you may have somebody that has hurt you, and you're just asking God to make, not make you bitter and to be able to forgive them. There's, there's a multitude of things that you're coming forward for. But I'll, I'll tell you what. A night like this is a night to do business with the Lord. Wednesday nights are nights for God's people. So uh, I'll be the first to line up if you'll follow me. Okay, thanks. Make, thanks for making me feel good. David. Amen. Let me do that. Lord, thank you for, for the wisdom and the discernment you gave David. Holy Spirit, you search all the hearts. All things are laid bare before your eyes. This isn't, this isn't a game anymore. We're laid bare before you. and Holy Spirit, you bring conviction of sin. Not so that we're condemned, but so that we're convicted. And we come and confess our sins, and you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And Lord, the reality is, there isn't a person in this room who's without sin. There isn't a person in this room who hasn't blown it enormously today. We're all in this boat together. Some of us have dealt with it, others of us haven't. And Lord, I I, I thank you. I cannot stand behind this wooden pulpit without your mercy. And so God, together, as I confess, Lord, I pray that the congregation as well would just, Lord, we, we just say, God, you, you know, you know what it is. Right now, Lord, I, I can almost just lift it to you. You see it. And I ask God for forgiveness and I know the rest in the room do as well. Lord, you do forgive, but you desire that we confess to one another that that restoration of fellowship would be established, that we would be honest in our dealings with who we are. So God, in this time, as Tony would use the gift you've given him to lead us into a place of worship, I pray, God, as you prepare the hearts of the prayer team and the congregation, that you would just minister deeply, and we ask, Lord, that you'd do that. Show us, Lord, what it is we need to deal with tonight. We all do. We all do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.